today is the final teaching that we're doing um, in the series that we've been doing over the last uh, couple of weeks on repentance from dead works, which is the first um, doctrine taught to us out of the six foundational doctrines in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and we'll read that scripture for it has been our text verse for the series of teachings. And the scripture says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So repentance from dead works uh, being the first out of the six foundational doctrines, uh, we've had a look at the fact that um, dead works are in fact sin, and so the, the teaching that we've been dealing over this past series has been looking at various aspects of sin and how sin impacts on the life of the believer and the fact that our Lord Jesus has made provision for us to walk free from sin in this life. Um, and that is why the doctrine is uh, called repentance from dead works. We're to repent from a life of sin before we came into the kingdom of God and we're to walk in a life of righteousness after we come into the kingdom of God. And we've looked at various aspects of that uh, uh, teaching up until now. Um, over the last couple of teachings and today's teaching, we want to, we've been discussing the consequences of sin. And we're going to finish up on the teaching today. But uh, in the previous two teachings, what we've had a look at is that when we commit sin, that we, with immediate effect, step out of light into darkness. And we saw that there is... Uh, um, there's no time delay because we're either in light or we're in darkness. And um, uh, the Apostle John spoke about the fact that he who hates his brother um, is in the darkness. And uh, if he says he's walking in fellowship, he's in actual fact lying because he can't. And we saw that light and darkness, there is no uh, fellowship between light and darkness. And God is light and in him is um, no darkness at all. And so no darkness can come into the presence of God. And we saw the consequences of walking in darkness, that uh, we become spiritually blinded, so to speak, and things of the Spirit are no longer uh, clear to us. They become more and more indistinct to us. And uh, we begin, begin to stumble. And uh, the stumbling is, takes on the form of us committing more and more sin. And so that's one of the consequences of sin, is that we uh, step out of light into darkness. And then we also saw that when we commit sin, that we um, step out of fellowship with the Lord. And that uh, fellowship is, is withdrawn from us. And we saw that our Lord even counseled His church to withdraw fellowship from a, a, a saint who refuses to repent of their sin. And we saw that the reason, the two main reasons that our Lord uh, asks us to uh, withdraw fellowship from that individual is because He wants that individual to feel ashamed of their sin and thus come to repentance. But the other aspect is that there is a contagion effect with regards to sin. And so if a particular believer is living in sin and other believers continue to fellowship with that particular believer, then their, their sin will contaminate them. Now, it's a very interesting uh, point there because our, our uh, dealing and um, having fellowship with unbelievers does not impact on the believer at all. And unbelievers are, are continuously living in sin. 
So it's, um, the Bible even says, if you, you know, if an, if an unbeliever invites you to dinner, you want to go, you can go. Uh, that's not an issue. Uh, where he, the Bible says that if a, a believer who's committing sin uh, wants to have dinner with you, do you not to go? You're not to have a fellowship with that believer. So how is it possible that I can go to have dinner with unbelievers who are living in sin, but not have dinner with a believer who's living in sin? It's because um, the unbeliever is in darkness and uh, the believer is in light. And I'm talking about the believer who's not sinning now. Um, and so there's no um, impact because darkness cannot come into the presence of light, so to speak. And so a believer who's walking in the light cannot be influenced by unbelievers. Um, otherwise, we need to get out of the world because we're surrounded by uh, people who are walking in darkness. And so sin in their lives has no impact on my life because I'm made of, from a different lump. Um, you know, the... Uh, the Bible talks about a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And um, so, you know, when we come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of light, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And there's a, there's a separation that it takes place. And so I'm in a different, I'm, an, I'm in the body of Christ. And so I'm made from a different lump. And so leaven that is in their lives cannot affect me. And that is why it's quite possible for believers uh, who are not walking in sin, who are walking in light, to have fellowship with unbelievers and thus witness to them. I'm not saying go and uh, uh, commit sin as they commit sin, but I'm talking about having meals with them and uh, talking to them about the things of the Lord. And that is quite uh, um, correct in the Bible because there is no... um, way that we can be infected by their sin unless of obviously we stand, we begin to fellowship with them a little bit too uh, frequently but on the other hand with regards to a believer who's not walking in sin having fellowship with a believer who is walking in sin they're of the same lump and so the leaven that is in the believer who's walking in sin can then influence the believer who is not walking in sin and so that is the reason why the bible counsels us Well, one of the reasons why the Bible counsels us not to have fellowship with believers who are walking in known sin. And in the previous teaching, we had a look at the fact that um, when we uh, commit sin, that we give the devil place in our lives. And uh, I've already mentioned about the fact that when we come out of, when we're born again, we're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we're translated into the kingdom of light. And Whereas when we were in the world, Satan was being the God of this world, uh, was in fact our God. And it was able to then exercise authority over our lives to a greater or lesser degree, depending on uh, the kind of lives we led before we came into the kingdom. Um, And so we were under his power. But when we were translated, um, when we were born again, we were translated from the kingdom of darkness into uh, the kingdom of, of light and Satan lost all dominion over our lives. And in fact, we saw that, in fact, the opposite takes place because now the believer being in the body of Christ has a full authority over Satan and over all of his realm. And uh, so the tables are turned, uh, so to speak, and that's exactly what does transpire. However, we saw that when we do commit sin uh, as believers, that we then give place to the devil. And it's only when we commit sin that we give place to the devil, which is one of the, the reasons why Satan is so, um, 
he places such a lot of emphasis on tempting believers to commit sin because he understands that if he can get the believer into the point to the point where they would then commit sin that he's then got them that they have become snared by him um, and he can then take them captive to do his will to a greater or lesser degree depending on uh, the kind of sin that the, the, in the, the believer then commits and how long they stay in that sin but the moment that we commit sin uh, we open the door for satan to affect our lives and we had a look at scripture along that line and then we also saw that um, when Satan does take a, a believer captive um, through sin and that believer becomes ensnared by Satan, what he does is that he uses that individual to accomplish his will in the church. And obviously Satan's will in the church is to destroy the church. And so he will use that individual to uh, spread whatever um, sin his, that individual is carrying into the rest of the, 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 the believers around them. And so that is one of the main uh, reasons that Satan tries to get hold of believers so that he can then use them to uh, do damage to the body of Christ. Because as we said, uh, a demon can't get into the church and start causing damage. He has to work through someone and so he has to work, work, work through a believer who will be prepared to listen to him. And that's how Satan uh, affects the church. And then we had a look at uh, our conscience. And we saw that when we, uh, one of the consequences of us committing sin is that we negatively affect our conscience. And um, before we came into the kingdom of God, all that we had to prevent us from committing sin was our conscience. For our conscience, or even unbelievers have a conscience. And uh, the conscience is given to man by God to um, guide them so that they do not commit sin, but rather walk in um, the good and not in the evil. When we come into the kingdom of God, things change because our, our spirits are born again. And so our spirits, as we dealt with uh, earliest in, the, in this uh, series of teaching, um, are completely free from sin and only want to walk in righteousness. And so we saw that when we come into the kingdom of God, now there are two um, factors that influence our lifestyle. And that is our conscience still continues to influence our lifestyle. For our, our conscience remains exactly the same when we come into the kingdom of God. We don't get a brand new conscience when we come into the kingdom of God. We keep our, uh, the conscience we've always had. But our spirits are brand new. And our spirits only want to uh, walk in righteousness. And so... Um, in the book of Romans, the scripture tells us that uh, for the believer, their conscience and their spirit or their heart in that passage of scripture, but that's referring to our spirits, uh, together either accuse the believer or excuse the believer based on what they, a decision they take and based on the actions that they take. And so it, um, your spirit and your conscience would accuse you if you're going to commit sin. Whereas if you're going to walk in righteousness, your spirit and your conscience will excuse you. And that is uh, the, the double um, witness that we have as believers uh, when we come into the kingdom of God. But we saw that um, believers who have a weak conscience before they come into the kingdom. So how do we get a weak conscience before we come into the kingdom? Well, um, your conscience is given to you right from day one when you are born. Um, but the, the conscience is really only awakened 
um, on your 13th birthday because it's only on your 13th birthday that you God deems you to then have knowledge of good and evil now you might have known about good and evil prior to that because your conscience was maybe uh, awakened um, but you were not held accountable for that but on the 13th birthday your conscience is awakened fully and any sin that you commit uh, your conscience straight away tells you that's wrong you shouldn't be doing it now what happens is unbelievers uh, they have a choice then they can either listen to their conscience or they can choose to ignore their conscience and then do the evil uh, commit the sin in other words um, so what happens is you get people who live very good lives uh, because they, they they get brought up in a in a good environment and they get taught to do the right thing and so they are more sensitive to obeying their conscience. And so they will not do certain things because their conscience doesn't allow them to do that. Whereas other unbelievers um, have not been brought up in a very uh, good environment, so to speak. And so they've been taught as they grow up to, you know, this is acceptable. This is, you know, you can ignore your conscience. And so they will then do the wicked stuff more and more of it. And the more they do, the, the, the Bible talks about the fact that we wound our conscience. Um, and so their conscience becomes weaker and weaker in, in convicting them not to do evil because they keep overriding their conscience and they continue to practice the evil that they were always practicing. And so what happens is when we come into the kingdom of God, there are those whose consciences are still pretty strong because they've pretty much obeyed their conscience Paul spoke about the fact that even before he was saved, that he always uh, listened to his conscience and he tried to obey his conscience as much as he could. And so you get uh, believers that come into the kingdom of God with their consciences pretty much intact. They have obviously uh, overridden their consciences in a number of issues because they've obviously been committing sin as well. But you get those who have really lived a wicked lifestyle because they've just, you know, ignored their conscience. And so when they come into the kingdom of God, their conscience is very weak. And so we saw that, um, you know, but whatever state your conscience was in before you come into the kingdom, it remains the same after you come into the kingdom. Now, what you can do is obviously, as you uh, grow in the things of God, that you can strengthen your conscience once again by beginning to obey it. And as you do, your conscience then becomes that much stronger. But when a believer commits sin, uh, then once again, they wound their conscience and their conscience becomes a little bit weaker. And so it becomes easier for the believer to go out and to continue in a sinful practice because they've ignored their conscience the first time. And so the second time, their conscience is not as strong in convicting them um, not to do what they're about to do. And so their conscience gets wounded and becomes a little bit weaker. And we saw that there are Christians who go to the extreme where their conscience becomes seared, the Bible speaks about, with a hot iron. And uh, any scar tissue that has been seared with a hot iron has no feeling to it whatsoever. And so these particular believers reach a stage where their conscience becomes completely ineffectual in preventing them from committing any more sin. And uh, we looked at the, the account given to us in uh, Timothy, that there are going to be, in the latter stages, there are going to be believers who will fall away from the faith. And one of the reasons that they will fall away is that they will have had their consciences seared with a hot iron. 
And so their conscience can no longer prevent them from committing sin. And so that's where we got up to uh, in the previous uh, series of teachings on the consequences of sin. Today we want to have a look at one more consequence, um, which is the fact that sin, when, when a believer commits sin, known sin this is, it hinders the sp our spiritual growth. And then we want to look at the fact that uh, we have forgiveness for sin. Our Lord has provided for forgiveness for sin in His church. Um, and those are the two uh, issues and areas we want to look at today. But let's have a look, uh, start by, by looking at the fact that um, unrepentant sin hinders spiritual growth. Um, it, it's, this is a, a part that is not really explored. You, you know, we don't hear too much teaching in the church on spiritual growth. And yet it is such a, a, an important part of the church and the church age. Because if you, you, you do a comparative between the saints under the new covenant and the saints under the old covenant, one of the major differences between the two is that saints under the new covenant can grow and mature spiritually. Saints under the old covenant could never grow and mature spiritually because they were spiritually dead. And so their spirits could never grow uh, in the things of God. Our Lord Jesus, He grew strong in spirit because His spirit remained alive from the time He came into the earth until such a time as He died on the cross. Um, and so He grew strong in spirit, the Bible teaches us in, in Luke's Gospel. And so believers under the new covenant can grow strong in spirit. This is uh, a point that we really need to um, meditate upon and um, explore in the scriptures so that we can in fact also cause our, our spirits to grow stronger. Whereas as I say, the saints under the, the old covenant could never grow um, strong in spirit. Uh, the Bible in the Old Testament never refers to uh, babes in Christ. Oh no, obviously no one is in Christ at that time. But it never speaks about mature believers and baby believers because there was no such thing under the Old Covenant. Under the New Covenant, we see it often in, 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 in the epistles that uh, the, uh, the, the apostles refer to baby Christians and to mature believers. And so it is possible for us to grow strong in the things of God spiritually and uh, we're going to see now that sin in the believer's life hinders that growth from taking place and what actually happens is the, the believer comes to a standstill and their spiritual growth no longer progresses as long as they remain in sin so let's have a, a look at a scripture along this line and uh, we'll comment on the scripture after we've read it which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Uh, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you, are, you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And then in verse 6 he says, I planted, Apollos watered, 
but God gave the increase. And so the increase that he's talking about here is their spiritual growth. Uh, the increase that God gives is our, our growth in our spirits. For he's very clearly talking about babes in Christ and those who are spiritual, which is also, uh, trans you can uh, correlate that with those who are mature in Christ. Um, but it is God who in fact gives the increase. Paul was walked, uh, had planted, Paul had gone into the church at Corinth and he'd started that church and he had planted the seed and that um, he brought them into the kingdom of God and he'd laid the foundation which was Christ Jesus our Lord and salvation in Christ. Apollos had come along afterwards as a, a teacher in the body of Christ and had built upon what uh, Paul had uh, laid as a foundation. And Paul refers to Apollos' ministry as watering the seed. Paul had planted and Apollos had come and watered. All of it was the Word of God. Uh, Paul had uh, planted the seed of the Word of God in, in those individuals' lives. And Apollos had come along and watered that seed with the Word of God. But Paul says that it is God who gives the increase and in fact had given the increase to them. Um, and so one of the things we need to understand about this passage of Scripture is that Paul admonishes them because he says um, in verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. And so this particular church at Corinth, Paul had planted. He started this church after he spent time in Athens. He then went to Corinth and he began to preach the gospel there. When Paul wrote this particular letter, this epistle, to the church at Corinth, the church at Corinth had been established for a period of roughly seven years. So this church was roughly seven years old. And yet Paul says to them, you guys are still babies. You're still carnal. Um, you haven't yet matured. I should be speaking to you. He's inferring very strongly that I could, he said, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual. I had to speak to you as to babes in Christ. And so, you know, seven years later, this church has not matured. They are still, um, Paul still has to deal with them as if they were babes in Christ. And he's talking about seven years after these people have come into the kingdom of God. So clearly, their um, spiritual growth had been hindered. So the, we need to ask ourselves the question, why is that? Because remember, it is God who gives the increase. And so clearly God had not been giving them increase and they had not been growing um, spiritually. So why had God not been giving them increase? Why had he withheld spiritual increase from the church, church at Corinth? Well, Paul answers the question for us in that passage of Scripture. In verse 3, he says, For you are still carnal. Now he explains it. He says, For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So envy, strife, and divisions, that's speaking about sin. This church was still um, walking in sin. And because they were still walking in sin, it prevented their spiritual growth from taking place. God could not give them increase because they had refused to stop walking in the sin that they were walking in, of envy, of strife, and of divisions. Um, and obviously there were other sins as well. If you read the, the, the letter to the church at Corinth, there was uh, cer certain of them were practicing sexual immorality. 
there were uh, believers in that church who were taking uh, fellow believers to uh, the uh, to the courts and suing each other. They were suing each other in the courts, and Paul had to address that. And so the church at Corinth was not a very spiritual church um, from the point of view of walking in righteousness. And as a result of that, they remained spiritual babies. They hadn't been able to mature spiritually. They couldn't grow spiritually because their sin hindered their spiritual growth. Let's have a look at another scripture which um, reinforces this truth to us. And that is in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. The Apostle, uh, the Holy Spirit, writing through the Apostle Peter to the church, says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so we read this passage of Scripture very often, and most of the time verse 2 is concentrated on. Um, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. And so we say, yes, we need the, the milk of God's Word so that we can grow. Um, and we're talking about spiritual growth, because remember, it's only the New Testament believers who are able to grow spiritually, for we are born again. Um, and so our spirits can grow and mature spirit and become strong in spirit. And so we quote that verse, uh, verse 2 there, and we say that's how we're going to grow strong in spirit, is that we need to partake of the milk of God's Word and then obviously the solid food of God's Word in order for us to grow strong spiritually. However, there is a provision that's given to us, and that is in verse 1. In verse 1, let's read it again. It says, Therefore, laying aside... All malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so verse 1 and 2 are completely linked together. And if we do not practice verse 1, then verse 2 is not going to kick in. If we do not lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, then no matter how much we desire the sincere milk of God's word, we're not going to grow thereby. And so Peter he says exactly the same thing that uh, Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. He's saying, guys, if you want to grow in the things of God, spiritually that is, you're going to have to lay aside all sin. Because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't say or lay aside some of it. He says lay aside all malice, lay aside all deceit. And all of this, he's, he can't list every sin, obviously, but he's listing sin. And he's, he's encouraging the believer to lay sin aside so that they can partake of the milk of God's word and then grow thereby. Because if we choose not to lay aside sin in our lives, we will not partake of the milk of God's word and grow. Because don't forget, the increase comes from God. And God will not give increase if we choose to walk in sin, because there's a whole lot of issues that we've already dealt with over this past series of teachings that kick in when we, we commit sin. We walk in darkness. We cut ourselves off from fellowship. We no longer see spiritual truths in the word of God's word and uh, in, 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 in the Bible. And so all of this prevents us from growing spiritually. And so it's very clear to us in Scripture that uh, if we want to grow and become mature in Christ. Throughout the epistles, uh, whenever um, 
the Bible refers to babes in Christ, not all the time, because obviously there is legitimate babes in Christ who just come into the kingdom of God. But whenever you see the, the epistles and the apostles writing to the church and admonishing the church that they should be further on in their walk with the Lord, um, and yet they are still babies. So in other words, we'd like the church at Corinth, seven years after the fact that they'd been established, Paul was saying, you guys are still carnal. You're still babes in Christ. Um, the, uh, writing to the church in Jerusalem, uh, again, the, the, uh, Paul says, you guys ought to be, should be teachers by now, but I'm having to feed you with milk. You haven't grown spiritually. And so whenever there is that inference in the, in the body of Christ where those who should be mature are still behaving as immature believers, as babes in Christ, it is always linked to the fact that they are still walking in sin, that they have not yet uh, stopped sinning and started walking in righteousness, because it's quite possible for believers to do that. Uh, and we said right from the outset, it would be unjust of the Lord for any of these consequences to come upon the believer if the believer had no ability to walk free from sin. But the, the Lord has uh, and we, right at the outset of this teaching, when we did the, that section on the fact that we have been freed from sin, the Lord has made provision for His church to walk in this life completely free from sin. And so He is not unjust in allowing these consequences to come upon His believers because He's made provision for them not to come upon His believers. He's made provision for His church to walk free from sin and so not have to incur these consequences. And so... Be, um, us, the hindering of our spiritual growth um, is directly linked to us allowing ourselves to walk in sin. Now, it's again, it's us. We, we make that decision. It's a conscious decision made by the believer to commit sin. Um, no one forces a believer to commit sin. They make, we have our free will. That will stays intact from the time we come in, we were born, and uh, all through our lives, our free will remains. We don't, God never overrides our free will. Satan tries to influence our free will by tempting the believer. But the believer who is walking uh, as they ought to walk, uh, when that temptation comes along, are quite able to reject that temptation and not commit sin. And so it is very possible and uh, it's not a difficult thing when you walk in, in righteousness to reject sin. Um, because it, yeah, sin actually is offensive to the believer once they start walking in righteousness. What you find is that things that you used to tolerate are no longer tolerable to you. Um, watching certain uh, television programs, listening to certain conversations, uh, certain behavior, all of that be, actually becomes offensive and hurtful to you because you are now walking in the Spirit and your Spirit doesn't want to do that and neither do you. And so as an act of your will, you choose not to walk in sin. And so we certainly have that ability. And our spiritual growth will always be hindered if we choose to walk in sin. We will, at, at, at that level that we got to, that's it, we'll stop. And until we repent of our sin and get back into fellowship with God, there's no continuance in our spiritual growth. And that's one of the reasons why you have believers who have been in the Lord uh, for 30 uh, years and more and are still behaving as baby Christians. They still get upset about things. They still envy others. They still get into strife. Uh, they're still part of divisions in the church. 
um, they do not behave as, as mature believers. And the whole point, the whole reason for that is they are still spiritual babies. And the reason that they're still spiritual babies is because they're hanging on to their sin and they are refusing to repent of their sin. And uh, so the Lord can't get them to grow spiritually. And so those are the consequences uh, for sin in the believer's life. And as we said, there's nothing, no good consequence for sin in the believer's life whatsoever. So the whole point is to stay away from sin. The Lord's first prize is that we do not sin. But if we do commit sin, our Lord is, is um, merciful and He has made provision for His church uh, when she does commit sin to be able to be set free from sin. And it's not a complicated issue. It's not a lengthy process. In fact, it happens instantly the moment we just apply what the Bible says. So let's have a look at um, a few scriptures along this line. Uh, the first one we want to look at is in 1 John uh, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Um, the Apostle John writing, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And so you really, uh, the whole letter of John, he talks a lot about um, sin and he talks a lot about righteousness and light and darkness. And all of it, he, say, he says to us, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. And so God's first prize, um, his perfect will for his saints is that we don't sin. That is really where God wants us to be, in the place where we don't sin. And we certainly are able to walk there. Um, that's not a difficult place to walk at all. But he goes on to say, And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so our Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he does intercede for us. And so when and if we do commit sin, um, we're not cut off, and we're not uh, left to our own devices. Because our Lord Jesus, even when we are committing sin, is still our advocate before the Father, and He intercedes on our behalf. Now, an advocate defends the, a guilty person. Someone who is guilty of committing a transgression uh, gets taken to court, and an advocate gets appointed to them, or if they've got enough money, they hire their own advocate, and that advocate then represents that individual before the judge. And Jesus Christ is our advocate. And he represents us before God the Father. Now, when he does, he obviously has uh, the, the, the best offense possible in that he has his blood um, and the fact that he has already paid the price for our sins. And so that is how we get off the hook. But in order for us to now get off the hook once we've committed sin, we have to go and apply, and we've spoken about the scripture before, but let's have a look at it again. 1 John chapter 1 beginning at verse 9. We have to do this in order for our advocate to be able to um, speak to the judge on our behalf and to clear our sin. This is what we have to do. Uh, so we kind of have to pay our advocate. You can put it that way. Uh, otherwise, he's not going to represent us. And so this is what we do to get him to represent us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so that is the payment that we have to make. We have to confess our sins. We have to um, repent of our sins and ask his forgiveness. When we do that, 
he then is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so as our advocate, he can then turn to the Father and say, Father, I have paid the price for this. And the Father then, that is cleansed under the blood of the Lamb, and that sin is done away with. And so it's, it's an instant process. It's not a complicated issue. Uh, whatever sin we have been committing, we repent of it, we ask forgiveness, and our Lord Jesus Christ forgives us straight away. He doesn't, as, as we said earlier, he doesn't say, no, well, actually, that's about the tenth time you have committed the sin. Let's have a look at uh, what our Lord taught us. Remember, um, Lord was speaking on, on forgiveness, and Peter asked him, he said, Lord, how often uh, shall I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. And our Lord said, I'd say not to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now that works out to 490, day, uh, 490 times. Um, but in context, when you look at the, another passage of Scripture that dealt with the same subject in another gospel, um, our Lord spoke about you have to, if, if, if your brother sins against you and seven times in a day comes to you, and ask for forgiveness or maybe he doesn't say seven times but however many times in one day you are to forgive that person so if you put the two verses of scripture together two passages of scripture together you have uh, 490 times a day a person committing sin and then asking for forgiveness and we are admonished by the Lord to forgive our brother in other words if a brother sins against us and he comes back and he says look I actually messed up I'll ask your forgiveness. We are admonished by the Lord. We must forgive him. That is something that is uh, given to us almost as a, it is a, it's a commandment of the Lord. Our Lord said, you know, you guys, you say you love me, but why don't you do what I tell you to do? And so we are we meant to do uh, the Lord's commandments. So th that same brother comes back to us. And as I say, if you put the two passages of Scripture together, 490 times in one day, committing the same sin against us or whatever other sin, and we're admonished by the Lord, we need to forgive us. Now, there's not anybody out there that commits uh, 490 sins against another individual in one day um, and goes back and asks for forgiveness. And then that third person. But that's the extent of forgiveness that our Lord expects of us to bestow upon our brothers and sisters in Christ on the earth. How much more doesn't the Lord bestow his forgiveness on us when we go to before him? So the point that I wanted to get across here is there is no amount of sin that the believer can commit that cannot be forgiven by the Lord. Absolutely none. And there is also no type of sin that the believer can commit that the Lord Jesus Christ cannot forgive. And so no matter how far down the road we go as believers in, in committing sin, um, we can always, at any point on that road, where we are right there and then, we can stop and we can turn around and we can say, Lord, I repent. I ask your forgiveness. And the moment we do that, it's all gone. Every you know, A believer might have been, I'm talking about a believer now, I'm talking about unbelievers, because unbelievers don't ask for forgiveness for sins, because they don't get forgiveness for sins. They can, but we don't want to go down the road. Unbelievers need to come into the kingdom of God, and then all of their sins get washed away. I'm talking about believers now. So let's say a believer has started to backslide and continues in a backslidden state for 10 years. 
And in that backslidden state, they have become progressively and progressively worse in their behavior. And you can see it. You can watch a believer who walks in, in a backslidden state. Uh, from what their lives used to be when they were walking in close fellowship with the Lord to what they have become and the way they behave, still, still sons of God, still Christians, still believers. They have not lost their salvation. This, is not, this hasn't happened. Uh, what has happened is they are just becoming more and more sinful in, in their behavior, and they're committing more and more sin. So we're talking 10 years down the line. And so there's been a long road that this believer has now walked away from God and has been walking in more and more sinful behavior. At the time that the, the Lord is able to arrest their attention and get their attention and say, okay, and they turn around and they look at the Lord and say, all right, Lord, I have sinned. I repent of my life up until now, Lord. I've really messed up, whatever it is that they've done. I'm asking your forgiveness. Right at that moment, all the sin that they have committed for that whole 10-year period gets washed, clean, completely, is gone. And it's done instantly. It is not a, the Lord says, okay, well, now there's a process you have to go through. It's taking you 10 years of, of built-up sin that you built up over the last 10 years. You've been in a backslidden state and you've been getting worse and worse and worse. Now you want to come back to me. Okay, well now let's work out a, a, a redemption plan for you. It's gonna, it took you 10 years to get where you are, so it's going to take you, let's say, at least a year to get back into full fellowship with me because now you've got to do this and now you've got to, I want you to pray uh, at least three times a day um, and say 25 Hail Marys in every one of those. I'm not being flip, I'm just trying to put things into a kind of a perspective for us. Um, and this is, and you need to fast twice a week. And if you if you do that for the next year, then after that I'll take you back into fellowship, and we you know we'll talk again. No, it doesn't work like that with the Lord. The instant the believer turns around and says, "Lord, that's it. I'm sorry. I've I've I really messed up. I will ask your forgiveness. It's done. It's washed. It's under the blood. Jesus forgives us. Our advocate has gone to the Father, and the Father has said, "Okay, I take your sacrifice. Done. Gone. Completed. And that's it. And so all of that 10-year period of whatever sins, and really, I mean, some Christians get into some horrific sinning uh, as believers. It's, it's the, the saddest thing to see, but in fact, it does happen. But the moment the turnaround takes place, it's there instant. And that pe person is completely in the light again and completely in fellowship with the Lord again, completely. There is no... As I say, now they're still spiritual babies then because, I mean, now they have to start growing again because, remember, their spiritual growth uh, was hindered up until now. So they've not matured at all. And so that has to change and they have to grow spiritually and in the things of the Lord. But the relationship is restored completely there and then. And that is how 1 John 1, 9 actually works along with 1 John 2, 1. Those two uh, scriptures combined deal with the believer's sin in, the, in that manner and that quickly. As I say, it's, it, there's no remorseful process that has to be go, gone through. Now, the church might uh, do something, you know, uh, although I don't see scripture along this line. You know, you have uh, people that uh, fall in sin and then the church says, all right, well, in order for you to get back into, uh, well, I suppose leadership, I suppose you can't take, you can't go down that road. If you want to get back into leadership, there's going to be a, a, an interim period where we're going to test you once again to see you know, if we can trust you in leadership. So that there, yeah, that, that, that's scriptural. 
But uh, the fellowship in the church has to be restored instantly as well. As our Lord restores, so the church must restore. Uh, and forgiveness must be, because you cannot forgive and not forget. Those two are always going to be hand in hand. When we forgive, we forget. And so it's gone. So it's as if the person had never sinned. And that's the relationship that is restored. However, there is a, a warning that has to be uh, sounded along this line. And I'm going to end off this series on the warning. Um, and that is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, beginning at verse 16. The scripture says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, not to death. Now, John the Apostle gives us two different types of sin here. Now, earlier in our teaching, we spoke about two categories of sin. And we spoke about known sin and unknown sin. And how the Lord deals with each one of those categories differently. But the, in, within the known sin category, there are two different types of sin. Uh, and John the Apostle highlights those two types of sin for us in this passage of Scripture. So let me read it and then we'll comment. Uh, verse 16 again. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin not to death. Now I know in, in, in the King James Version that says not leading to death. But wherever it's, it's got that word leading, uh, that word is italicized, which means that the translators have added that. That was never in the original text. So I'm reading it as, if, uh, uh, as per the original text. I'm not putting in the italicized uh, translator's uh, comments. Uh, so he says, If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin not to death, he will ask, and he will give him life, for those who commit sin not to death. So, <clears throat> let's just stop right there. Because <clears throat> we can pray for a brother who we see sinning. As, uh, so if you see your brother in Christ um, committing sin, he, he's in a backslidden state and he's doing things that are sinful. Because don't forget, the person who commits sin has stepped into darkness. And they become blinded. And they don't recognize their sin anymore. Because... Whereas before, they would never have dreamt of doing stuff that they're now doing uh, because they were in the light and they could see that what those actions were were sinful and so they would never partake of that. Now that they've stepped into darkness and they are partaking of sin, they no longer see as if they were in the light. And so what was once very clear to them that this is sinful, now it's not so clear to them that it's sinful anymore. And so the brother who is now walking in the light and sees the behavior... Um, not only should admonish this other brother, you know, you actually shouldn't be living like that because that is not uh, how a, be a believer should live. Um, and let's say the believer says, you know, well, yeah, that's, that's my choice. The other brother who's walking in the light is able to then apply 1 John 5, 16 and ask the Lord to forgive that brother. And, so, and, the, and the scripture says, and that's exactly what will happen. He says he will ask. And he will, and who? Jesus will give him life for those who commit sin not to death. So Jesus will answer their prayer. Uh, you know, we have authority in these areas. Um, think about that centurion whose servant was ill. Now, his servant was ill. It's, it's his employee. He was the employer and his employee was ill. He went to the Lord on behalf of his employee and said, you know, Lord, uh, could you please heal my employee? So the employee had no um, knowledge even, maybe, that his employer had gone to speak to Jesus on his behalf. Jesus then 
um, because the, 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 the centurion says, you know, Lord, you, all you have to do is say the word. Jesus uh, is uh, awed by this guy's faith. But, and, and then answers his prayer. He said, go all your way. Your servant is healed. And so God healed the guy's employee based on the employer's request. And so, you know, if that God will do that, then it's, he'll definitely, one brother petitioning the Lord on behalf of another brother in the same family, the Lord will hear that prayer without a doubt. And so, you know, we can go before the Lord and say, Lord, you know, so-and-so is committing this sin. Won't you please forgive him? And the Lord will do that. He'll forgive that sin and it's gone. But then you need to get into that brother's life as soon as possible. And now, you know, because now he's now in the light again. So now he can see again and you, and you can now speak into his heart and say, okay, this behavior and he'll recognize, okay, this behavior is, is not right. And that's one of the things we need to do sometimes. You know, sometimes uh, uh, what happens is that, because don't forget the scripture says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one who's now fallen into sin. Um, you, 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 what happens is you don't get very spiritual people trying to restore other believers who are committing sin. And so they come across and just go speak to the, the, the brother in Christ. And they don't do it correctly because, don't forget, he's in darkness. So he can't see really what you're trying to, sh what you're trying to show him or trying to tell him. So the first port of call is go before the Lord and ask for his forgiveness. The Lord does it. He listens to your prayer. So the guy's now in the light. He has of his own will not changed yet, but God has now cleansed him from that sin. So you can get in there now and you can speak into his life and he'll be able to see that he shouldn't be walking down that road. And so that was a bit of an aside, but so we get on, carry on. He says, and he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not to death. So up to now, he's only talking about sin not to death. But now we're looking at another sin. Then he says, there is sin to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. And so he says this particular sin, there is sin, he says there is a sin to death. And he says you, you can't pray for that sin. He says you can pray for all sin that is not to death. Every sin that's out there that's not to death, you can pray, ask the Lord to forgive, and the Lord will do it. But he goes on and says there is sin to death, and you cannot pray for that sin. So in verse 17, he says, all unrighteousness is sin. And so that's the whole category. That's a whole broad, spe broad spectrum of sin, everything. All unrighteousness is sin. And he says, and there is sin not to death. Okay, so all of the sin that we commit is sin not to death. However, there is a sin that is to death. And we're not, we, we can't even pray for that sin because once that sin has been committed, it is to death. Now, what death is he talking about? Because he's talking about praying for believers. If anybody sees his brother sinning, we're not talking about unbelievers now. And within believers, there's a sin that is to death. So what is the sin to death? The sin to death is talking about spiritual death. And so when that's, the believer commits that sin, his spirit dies once again. And you can't be born again again. Uh, we can only be born again once. And so once we commit the sin to death, that's it. We're out. We're out of the kingdom of God. We have been disqualified, Paul talks about. Um, and so what is the sin to death? The sin to death is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And that is the sin to death. When a, a Christian 
denies Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They get so far down the road in sin, they, they, their hearts become so hardened by sin, they are that backslidden. Their conscience has become seared with a hot iron, so that they no longer, their conscience is completely ineffectual from trying to prevent them from committing any more sin. And they, uh, things of God are not important in their lives anymore. The, this Christian thing is not for them anymore. They are quite comfortable where they are, thank you very much. They've tried this Christian thing, didn't quite work for them. They are now happy living in the world. And they then commit the sin to death. They deny Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They want nothing more to do with Him. They want nothing more to do with Christianity. They don't go to church anymore. They don't read about their back in the world. And that is sin to death. And that's a believer. A believer can commit that sin. And so the consequences of sin are horrific all the way down the line. But the end of the road is death, spiritual death. So a believer who goes down that road, unless the, the grace of God uh, intervenes and takes the believer uh, to be with the Lord Jesus in, uh, through early death. Remember we spoke about the believer in the uh, church at Corinth. Um, and you know, a whole bunch of believers actually, Paul spoke about the, the church of Corinth that had died early death. So the grace of the Lord takes believers out of the planet before they can get to that point of committing the sin to, de to death. But a believer who's left to their own devices and continues down this uh, road of um, a backslidden state, walking in sin and continuing down sin, the wages of sin is death. They will once again reap spiritual death. And that's it. That's the sin to death that a believer can commit. And there's no coming back from that. And then there's one other sin that cannot be forgiven. And that's the one that most uh, people know about. And that is in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. Scripture says, therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. And that means will be forgiven men. That means every sin. So there's no, no matter how, you know, some sins are really grievous and they, they are, but they are not the sin to death. But this one's also uh, a sin that cannot be forgiven. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men. And so that's the, uh, the other sin that everybody knows about, that you could be, if anybody blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, uh, they will never ever be forgiven. And so that is the consequences of sin we've had a look at now, and we've had a look at um, the fact that our Lord does make provision for us um, to be forgiven for our sins. And so in this uh, teaching, I want to sum up what we've looked at over this whole series. We've seen that Jesus has died for our sins. We've also seen that we've been cleansed from all sin when we come into the kingdom of God. We're washed from every sin we've ever committed. Uh, we've seen that we've been freed from sin and that sin no longer has dominion over us. We saw that our Lord Jesus Christ has condemned sin in the flesh and we no longer have to obey its lust. We can walk free from sin. Um, we have seen that as we are led by the Holy Spirit that we can put to death the deeds of the body because it's only the body that wants to commit sin. We had a look at that. We've seen that under grace, even though because we're under grace, it's not, not an excuse for us to continue in sin. And God expects His children to grow up and to stop sinning. That's uh, something that our Lord expects us to do. We've seen that when, our, when we refuse to stop sinning, that our Lord does and eventually uh, needs to chastise us in order to correct our behavior. And then we've looked at the consequences of sin 
and uh, just how badly sin does affect the believer's life. And so that is the end of the series on repentance from dead works. Uh, the next series that we will tackle is uh, faith toward God, uh, which is the second out of the six foundational doctrines as taught to us in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to end the teaching on that point today. Amen.